thank you for letting me come and be with you today. I want you to think back, and I realize now this makes me feel old. Uh, Harry Potter is a phenomenon from a decade ago. But uh, if you remember, if, if you were a fan of that series, the, the wizards and witches in that series, when they were attacked by these things that were sort of personifications of death, had the ability to cast something called a Patronus. I'm not enough of a Harry Potter word to know if I'm pronou- uh, nerd to know if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. But the Patronus took on a shape that sort of embodied the character of the wizard or witch that was casting the Patronus. And the Patronus had the ability to fight off this thing, this, this death personification thing. Well, in a way, we are seeing the Patronus of wisdom in this passage. In this passage, wisdom, which is really what the Proverbs is all about. Uh, the Proverbs is an instruction manual for gaining wisdom. And we might define wisdom as skill in the art of godly living, or learning skill in the art of godly living. And in this passage, in in chapter 8 as a whole, we meet Lady Wisdom, who is wisdom personified. And from from the earlier portions of this chapter, and indeed from the whole book of, of Proverbs, we see that wisdom is this wonderfully attractive thing. It's something beautiful. It embodies concern for justice. Authenticity, unselfishness, intentionality, uh, building meaningful relationships, relationships where we care about the other person and developing the other person in their ability to be one who practices skill in the art of godly living. Diligence, compassion, uh, seeing other people and not putting them in a box so I don't have to deal with the reality of their needs, but taking into account the reality that we live in a broken world where there is injustice. Uh, all, of, all of these things are embodied in wisdom. And we see this description of wisdom that, that all throughout the chapter, but particularly as we look at it in verses 22 and following, is beautiful. Wisdom walks with God. Wisdom delights in the created order. But then we get to verse 36, and we read that statement, all who hate me love death. And we start looking at our experience of the created order. And we start saying this this picture that wisdom paints of daily delighting beside the Father like a master workman, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited Word and delighting in the children of man. And we say, well, wait a minute. Uh, My experience of the children of man includes pain. Includes people hurting me. Includes people using me to make themselves feel better and ignoring my needs. Uh, And then I I look at myself and I realize my experience of mankind is also me using them to make myself feel better. And we start to to feel this disconnect between verses 22 through 31, where wisdom is describing the act of creation and the goodness of creation, and where we begin to feel all who hate me love death. As, as Preston said earlier, we can, we can look at our lives, we can look at the things in our lives and decide, well, I can find people that are worse than me. I can find people that do things that are you know, newsworthy, and my sin looks pretty good beside those people. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to have to begin to say to the extent that we don't embrace all of the beauty that wisdom is holding out, all of the beauty that is personified in wisdom in this chapter, we are those who love death. We are those who embrace the opposite of wisdom. I, um, I have four children, 
and they're uh, seven-year-old, five-year-old, and twin three-year-old boys. And so our house can be a very noisy place at times. Um, And we find that behavior seems to kind of go in cycles. We can kind of have an up cycle when people are sort of getting along and, you know, things are good. And we can go through down cycles where, you know, no one wants to listen to each other or listen to what mom and dad have to say. And, and we're constantly, you know, fighting over the most ridiculous things. And sometimes in those down cycles, I start, you know, not just offering correction and offering consequences, but then I start getting mad at why do I have to keep offering consequences? Why is my job so much getting people to stop fighting against what, you know, what I'm trying to do for their benefit, and I start into kind of this sort of downward spiral where I'm getting angry at the, the role that I'm having to play in offering correction. And I'm no longer modeling correct behavior, I'm just venting. And I'm, I'm getting mad at the petty stuff, and then I'm being petty myself. And so we, we experience this downward spiral where I have to say, even in the way I'm relating to my children at those times, I'm a person who's embracing death. I'm a person who is not embracing wisdom, but loving death. So I want us to to look at this passage and say, what is being offered to answer that? If our problem is that we're people who love death, what is the passage telling us that is an, an answer, that is an antidote to that problem? So look back with me at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Now, this is an Old Testament passage describing wisdom, but from the earliest days, the church has identified this character, Lady Wisdom, with the person of Christ, with the second member of the Trinity. Now, that's a problem because there are certain heresies and early heresies in the church that wanted to say Jesus is the first created being, and he's really important, but he's still created. And if you look at this verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, well, within the range of meaning for possessed is the idea of created. And so the the groups that wanted to push back against what what the church had always taught were saying, well, no, this this is proof that Jesus is created. The problem with that is if you look at what the rest of the passage is doing, the point it's making about wisdom isn't that wisdom was created first. The point it's making is that wisdom was there when the foundations of the earth were laid. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, when there, was no other, when there was no springs, before the hills, before he had made the earth, I was there. And he goes on and he begins to describe these very, you know, drew a circle on the face of the deep in verse 27. Made firm the skies above, established the fountains of the deep. He's, he's talking about very bedrock origins things, and he says, I was beside him. So the point of the passage, regardless of what we might take possessed to mean, is very clearly that wisdom was there before. And not only was wisdom there before, but wisdom was involved in creating. When he assigned the sea limit in verse 29, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, when I was beside him like a master workman, it's Lady Wisdom that's being called the master workman here, and I was daily his delight, Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. The point the passage is making is that wisdom was there before and was involved in the creative activity of making the world that we experience. There is 
New Testament reflection on this that ties very close to it. We heard it in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now, we want to be careful when we're looking at an Old Testament passage that is teaching us something about Christ. We don't want to just say, okay, so the point is that Christ pre-existed the creation, was involved in making the creation, and so therefore we're to Christ, and so now we're going to jump to the New Testament, and we've got our proof text. Rather, we want to say, this word in Proverbs was given to the Old Testament church to explain something to them about the character of God. And when the New Testament picks that up and begins to apply it to Jesus, we want to take the whole understanding that goes with that and see how that is correctly applied so that we're filling out our understanding of Jesus. We're not just using the Old Testament as a proof text. And so the point that's being made, if if you're an Old Testament believer, if you're a member of the Old Testament Church of Israel, you're not hearing second member of the Trinity when wisdom gets personified as Lady Wisdom. You're hearing the wisdom of God as something so important, so meaningful that it actually can be given personification. And that that personification is connected to the way the world that we live in was made. Uh, At my grandfather's funeral, standing in the receiving line afterward, a number of people that came past would say to me, young man, you've got big shoes to fill. Now, they weren't commenting about the size of my grandfather's feet. He actually had fairly small feet, like I do. They were saying my grandfather's character was something significant, something important, and something that was, had an impact on the community and needed to live past him, needed to move beyond him. That's the sort of thing that's being said about wisdom. The wisdom of God, the character of God, is in this passage giving, imparting something of itself to the creation. The creation is being formed to reflect the character and glory of God. And that is significant. We see that wisdom is a co-creator with the Father. So then we run into this problem. The world is this glorious place. I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always rejoicing in his inhabited word and delighting in the children of man, the character of God imbued to the creation, my experience of the creation, a creation that produces, you know, killer winter storms and cancer and discord and disobedience in my children and then anger and frustration in myself. And there's, there's a disconnect between the wisdom and character of God imbued to the created order and my experience of that created order. And so wisdom goes on. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Now, as you look at the list of things that wisdom is holding out as as the way to deal with being one who loves death, as the way to overcome that, the only one that we see that that sounds, if you will, sort of a, you know, roll up your sleeves, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, is when he says, 
all who keep my ways. The rest are remarkably passive. Hear, do not neglect. It's it's a, a reception that's being talked about, and probably we should understand when he says in verse 32, blessed are those who keep my ways, we should understand keeping my ways as being defined by the things that follow it. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Uh, The one who is exceeding in their skill in the art of godly living here is the one who is waiting on wisdom. The one who is receiving what wisdom is giving to them, and that is a grace. Wisdom is holding out herself to the person that loves death and calling on that person to receive what wisdom is giving to them. We want to be people who are conformed to the Scripture. We want to be people who embody what wisdom calls us to. But if our idea of what it means to be conformed to Scripture is, well, roll up our sleeves and and work harder so that we can be better conformed to the Scripture, and then we look at the, the disconnect between our experience of the created order and the beauty of God's character poured out in creation... That's going to be a lot of rolling up our sleeves. That's going to be an enormous task. That's, that's a task that we're not equal to. And so that's where we begin to turn to these, these other aspects of what wisdom is calling us to hear instruction and be wise. Listen to me, watching daily at my gates. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. It's, the, the picture there is not the person going off and winning something that then God has to reward. It's the person receiving what God is freely giving. A New Testament reflection on this goes further. In Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 3, we read, He, describing Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That after making purification for sin and that connection that Christ is the one who created, just as wisdom is depicted creating with the Father, wisdom not only gives shape and form and the character of God into the creation, wisdom then has to enter into the broken creation, the creation in rebellion against the Father, the creation in rebellion against the one whose image it carries, the one whose character it testifies to, and offer himself up to take away the brokenness, to defeat sin and death and the the effect of the creation's rebellion against the Father, the effect of the creation's love of death. The one who is life in himself enters into the creation to make purification for sins. Then the author of Hebrews goes on to reflect about the the greatness of Christ over the angels. and In verse 10, he picks up and says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Now, it's not making the point so much that the creation's going to go away as that Christ is the permanent one. Christ, the wisdom of God, who gave His character to the creation, is the permanent one the one who came back to redeem the creation. And so the the rolling away that we see going on there is the brokenness of creation being taken away. 
It's looking forward to the day when Christ returns to make all things new. It's holding out to us the promise that Christ, who we are united to, Christ who is in the throne room of the Father now, which is described just immediately preceding verse 10, is saying that He has united His children to Himself. And we want to be very careful here to say it's not saying His children have done such a good job embodying wisdom, they've become united to Him. It's saying that Christ has united them to His wisdom. He's enabled them to receive the grace of His wisdom being offered to them. Uh, there's a guy named Bruce Feiler wrote a book called The Secrets of Happy Families that I was reading during one of these kind of down cycles. And he's talking about the way families kind of develop resiliency by connecting with their stories. But he says there's a, a difference in stories. Uh, some families have what they call a progressing story or a progressive story. And it's a story that goes something like, you know, son, when, when our family came here, we had nothing. But your grandfather worked hard and and, and I was able to graduate from high school, and now, son, you've been able to graduate from college, and, and who knows where your grandkids are going to go. It's, it's an ascending story. Uh, there's also a declining story, a story that goes something like this. You know, honey, we, we used to have everything, but then that crash happened, and we lost it all, and it's just been downhill from there. But what they find are the most resilient families are the families with what's called the oscillating family narrative. You know, we, we came here with nothing, but we worked hard. We accomplished a lot. Your mother was once on the board of the hospital. But we've had setbacks, too. Your uncle got arrested one time. Uh, we had a house burned down once. Uh, but through it all, we've, we've been together as a family. And, and that sort of oscillating story is the most resilient story for a family. Well, I'd suggest that the story that's being held out in Proverbs by identifying lady wisdom with the people of God is an oscillating family story. It's a story that's showing us the, the beauty of the origins from where we came. And then we tie in to where Hebrews 1 is going with the fact that Jesus is saying He is going to make all things new, that He is forever. And yet it holds up this reality that our experience of the creation is an experience that includes loving death, that includes the brokenness of the world. We don't want to say that it's, it's just an ever-progressing story. Because we're going to encounter setbacks. We're going to encounter our own sin. But in that context, we're going to need the truth that's being held out in the text, that God is conforming us to His Word. That God has given us His Word for instruction. Uh, one commentator made the comment that, I don't want to be a person who deals out damage and pain to other people. And certainly, I don't want pain myself. Think of consequences. They matter. They're a deterrent to sin. Proverbs has a consequence orientation. But Proverbs isn't just instruction. Proverbs isn't just saying, this is what it's supposed to look like, so now go get it. It's personifying wisdom to us because it's saying the only way that we can actually achieve skill in the art of godly living is by lady wisdom extending the grace to us to be able to be those who embrace wisdom, to be able to be those who, who give up our love of death. Now, whether in your marriages, or in, in your roommate relationships, or, or even in your employer-employee relationships. You're going to encounter the oscillation. You're going to encounter cases where people are hurting you, and where you look at your responses, and your responses are hurting them. A 
putting yourself first or failing to develop them. But the fact that this growth in grace is dependent on Lady Wisdom, on Christ, extending His grace to us, is that upward trend of the oscillating narrative of the fact that Christ, the wisdom of God, holds Himself out to us, gives Himself to us, extends His grace to us, and makes us those who don't love death, but who embrace life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are eternal. That you have always been, that you always will be. That you have shaped the creation to testify to your glory. But we confess our participation in the brokenness of creation that leans against that. That loves death rather than life. And so we pray that you, the one who is wisdom, would fill us with your wisdom by your grace, would make us people who are characterized by your character in us, who are the, your hands and feet in the world by your grace. We pray it in your name. Amen. Take a moment now to prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper.